0: Global Geek News Podcast, where we talk about the global side of technology. I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley?
1: Things are going great. How are you doing, Jeremy?
0: I am doing pretty good. Had a nice little vacation last weekend, went to the Starfest Sci-Fi Convention in Denver, which was an absolute awesome time, and just kind of spent the time recovering ever since then.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, re- re- relaxing too and um, this just last night, I just saw Lisa Lampanelli in person live. Uh, that was fun.
0: Yeah, I've, I've kind of gotten to be more and more of a fan of her. It was first time I think I'd ever even heard of them, her was the roast of William Shatner, I think, on Comedy Central and I've watched a number of things on her on Comedy Central since and She's pretty good, she's a bit more vulgar than most comedians, I think, but she's pretty good,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely but,
0: yeah how how long did she go for?
1: She went for a while, I would say maybe hour fifteen minutes or so.,
0: uh, that's pretty good for most comedians.
1: yeah she had someone come out warm up the crowd, and they were out there for a good twenty minutes or so, so it's about two hours of straight comedy.
0: Well that's pretty cool yeah, the sci-fi convention it was great. They had all kinds of celebrities there. There was Katie Sackhoff that played Starbuck on Battlestar Galactica, and there was a couple of actors from Star Trek Voyager and Trisha Tallman from Babylon 5 and everything. It, it was it was a ton of fun. For those that want to see some of my pictures from Starfest, I have them up on my Flickr, which I think is like flickr.com slash pcnerd37 or whatever the link is for Flickr slash my account name which is pcnerd37. Which there's I, I think there's probably like two dozen photos up there including some of my pictures with a couple of the actors. But...
1: Did you uh, ask any, any good questions or get any insight?
0: Uh, you know, the only one I asked a whole lot of decent questions to was maybe Brent Spiner. Asked him a little bit on about his Twitter usage and how he got into Twitter and stuff like that. And he talked a little bit about his... Uh, I don't remember how he termed it. Kind of like a... Like a, just a little story that he's basically using to... That he's telling on Twitter now. Which, I don't know, it just seems like over the past week or so... I just seem to have gotten lost in the story... And it just doesn't make quite as much sense. But... It, it, I think he was doing... I only asked a whole lot of questions, to. I talked to Patricia Tallman quite a bit. But there was... There wasn't much in the way of real interesting questions in terms of technology or anything like that, or even the shows that she was in, because I honestly had never seen anything that she's been in or even heard of her before until the event. Who is that? Uh, uh, Patricia Tallman. She yeah. played, uh, I think, Lita in Babylon 5.
1: oh, that's why, okay
0: that's her big thing, but she's been in all kinds of stuff and she's done a ton of stunt work I think that seems to be the majority of what she does but she's done a lot of horror films she's done a lot of I think she's been in like some 50 episodes of Star Trek whether it's just some little person that gets killed off quickly or just a stunt person or whatever she's done a lot of stuff, it's just a lot of it, you probably wouldn't know it because it's either some obscure little horror film that you've probably never heard of or just a lot of stunt work.
1: Well, it seems like, uh, she was the only one who dressed up for the event, looking at your pictures here.
0: Yeah, she, well, they were all dressed up at different times. Uh, Robert Picardo, who played the Doctor on Voyager, he was dressed up a fair bit, but that's because the first night he did a jazz concert with the local Castle Rock Orchestra, or I think that's what it was called, the Castle Rock Orchestra, and then the second night, him and Ethan Phillips were doing a little comedy routine, and they were dressed up for that, which was pretty cool, but when they were out with the fans and everything, they weren't dressed up at all, it was all real casual,
1: that's pretty cool. I bet it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it, it was. It was a lot of fun. I was kind of surprised, given the fact that it wasn't. They didn't have any real huge names there this year, like they have in the past. I mean, a lot of them were big names, especially like Katie Sackhoff. But there was. But in the past, they've had like the real big people, like Shatner and stuff like that. I was just kind of surprised they didn't have somebody. Real huge like that, although I'm certainly not complaining. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, all my pictures that I took are up on Flickr, which I think it's under the group called Starfest 2009 or something like that. If you're looking to get them all together there. But anyway, we yeah you can
1: you can find it at Flickr.com for slash photos or sorry. 4slash photos 4slash nerd 37
0: Ah, uh, <laughs> slash photos slash nerd 37 okay Yeah, I wasn't sure if they added anything in there before the name It's because I've I've had a Flickr account for f- forever, I just haven't really used it much But, and also it's on my, they're on my Facebook too, if you happen to be a friend of mine on Facebook And I think they may even be public on Facebook, I I'm, but I'm not positive of that but anyway, we've got tons of great stories to talk about, so why don't we just dive right into it?
1: The Uh, first one is that a study finds that pirates buy ten times more music online than non-pirates. Yeah, this, I
0: don't know, it kind of surprises me and it kind of doesn't. And This is a study from... Oh, shoot, there goes my phone... Okay. I thought I had it on Vibrate. Let me make sure it's on Vibrate this time. (laughs) Okay. Um, This is a study from by Norwegian School of Management that apparently people who download music for free from services like BitTorrent are more legitimate consumers of downloadable music. Apparently, among the... 1,901 people that Norway studied, all of whom were over the age of 15. Apparently, it was found that they, those who downloaded free music, were 10 times more likely to download pay music. Which kind of thou- sounds a little strange, considering they're pirates of music. But I know myself and a lot of people. We may download a song or two, but it, usually it's to check out an album or whatever, and then go back and actually buy it.
1: Well, it makes sense that someone who is a huge fan of something would be the largest consumers. If, if you love music, movies, you're probably going to download the movie and then go to the theater to see the full experience. Um, I guess the same is with mu- music, except that it's not a, a large theater or group kind of act like you would just go out and do it with a group of people Um, music is pretty it's pretty pretty much a solo event Um, so this aspect in one way makes sense in others it doesn't so if you're a fan of all kinds of music I would see how you would download a lot of mainstream stuff but then you would purchase some of the um, some of the indie non-mainstream stuff
0: yeah well And that kind of makes sense just because the indie stuff is a whole lot harder to find on torrent networks. But, yeah, this doesn't surprise me too much. I I think I've heard studies or at least talk of something similar to this before. And And I know... I don't know if I've talked about it on this show or not, but I know that I've talked at some point on one of my shows or something about how... I generally music and stuff is generally a not an experience I share with others cuz a lot of people don't have the same taste in music as me. So I'm usually have a harder time finding new music that I like than other people cuz I don't I'm not one to like listen to radio or anything. So a lot of times sometimes I'll or well most of the time I'll listen to something like Pandora and find out about new groups. But with Pandora, you can only really listen to one song and you can't really get to choose what what song it is you're listening to. It's just whatever they give you. So after that point, I usually go and pirate an album from whoever it may be just to find out, just to listen to a little bit more of their stuff, see if I like it, and then I'll go buy the album. And that's how I've discovered a number of groups.
1: One... When- One aspect of the story that I don't want to gloss over is that it was done in Norway, in which they're much more restricted than we are in terms of access to music that we can pay for. For instance, their iTunes library is not as extensive as our library. So it could be that the the fact that um, they have no other options of getting some of the music that they want, and that they have to pirate it in order to even get it and instead of here in the States, that we would have the option to purchase a CD. That could be part of it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure this number wouldn't quite exist everywhere, just because of that reason, primarily. And that's that's one of the things that I actually feel bad about for people that live in other countries, is that due to licensing agreements and whatever that we have with artists here, they don't get to enjoy some of the music and online movies and stuff that we do here so that it makes more sense that they're more likely to pirate in other countries
1: yeah definitely so so it's it's this should, story should say that instead of pirates buy ten times more music it also could mean that this is a huge market that you guys are monetizing because your stuff is just not available in those countries.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of being available in other countries, apparently, WALL-E is available in Mexico if you're using a cell phone data card. Although it's going to be, it's going to cost you around sixty-two, sixty-two thousand dollars to download it.
1: Yeah, talk about over-monetizing. Sees <laughs> seems so that someone was roaming in Mexico when they chose to download a movie for one of their kids. Um, it was WALL-E, and due to the data roaming charge, the person was charged $62,000 on their data plan.
0: That That seems like an absurd amount. And eventually they talked to the carrier and got the down to $17,000, which apparently the carrier, who I never did catch a name on the carrier, but apparently they said they couldn't go any lower than that because that's what it cost them to deliver the movie to her, although, I don't know, it seems a little strange to have cost $17,000 to do that, but maybe, I don't know.
1: Yeah, they said the seven. They can. They reduced the charge from sixty-two thousand to seventeen thousand because seventeen thousand was what they called the realized cost of how much it actually charged to deliver that, and that I don't believe. Um, but one thing that's that shouldn't be lost also in this story is that ever since there were cell phones or any kind of cell network, there's been roaming costs. I remember it used to be local roaming class that if you lock, uh, left your city, you could get charged roaming. Um, there's some that if you left your state, you could be charged roaming. Um, and there's always been something where if you lo- left the country, you'd be charged roaming. So either this person is not used to dealing with cell phones or uh, any kind of cell technology, or they were just oblivious and never realized that you can get charged roaming costs, especially when you leave the country, because I've always been aware of this.
0: Yeah, well, it doesn't seem unless you're going out of the country or something like that. It doesn't seem like roaming costs or or roaming in particular is that prevalent anymore. I know with for the past I don't know how many years that I've had whether it's Verizon or Nextel or whatever. I've always, I basically always have coverage everywhere and I i don't even know the last time I was in an area that was roaming I think the last time I ever saw anything on a phone that said I was roaming was on the old brick phones so,
1: I agree it's been a while but you are familiar
0: yeah but I think that's just because I have been one to use or know somebody that has used a cell phone ever since about the brick brick phones came out just about
1: yeah, exactly. So that's why I was saying. I think this person is very new to cell phones and just totally didn't realize it. But um, it never said what this person did. That um, they, they, you would think that there'd be a heavier user of cell tech, uh, you know, cell technology, if there is advanced of having a cell card on a computer because that's still fairly rare in the non-tech circle anyway. Mm-hmm. Especially downloading a movie is very technical. As in, most people don't download movies now. Yeah.
0: well, and I, This makes me wonder how slow the download of the movie must have been.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, is it by time or by megabyte?
0: Uh, I don't know. It was a 98-minute movie. Uh, but that's about all I know. And who know. I don't know if it was an HD version or not. For $17,000, I'd sure hope so. But... Yeah, I don't know how much, it, if it was by time or what.
1: Yeah, most uh, cell services is probably by megabytes, so it should have been the same cost no matter how long it took to download. I think the the real gap that happened here is the customer service. Um, once AT and T, Verizon, Sprint, T Mobile, whoever that the 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 user used as a carrier should have called the person say, do you realize how much you're using right now? Mm-hmm. And, and and give them the option to say, hey, you know, let us let me upgrade to the roaming plan or let me go and just stop do- downloading and using this data service internationally. Um, it, it's just this lack of communication and, and lack of awareness that caused such a big issue.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I thought that there were caps on a lot of data cards now that were like around 5 gigs in a month or something like that. You'd think that between that, downloading the movie, and whatever else that she's done on the data card, that she would have hit that point and they would have cut her off or notified her or something.
1: Well, if this is in one sitting, and within one billing cycle, it could be unknown to them until the next billing cycle how much data they actually used. So they could have hit the cap and then went over it, but it could have been so quickly that they didn't cut it off in time.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of caps, and I didn't put this in the show links, but I saw a story yesterday where apparently Time Warner Cable could now have a mystery cap, much like Comcast used to, before they admitted to having the 250-gig cap. Did you
1: see that Yeah, story? Time Warner is become... No, I haven't seen the story, but I wouldn't be surprised. Time Warner is the... Uh... It's starting to become the really, really, uh, the really hated and evil company in the in the internet space, especially with their uh, extremely low caps that they were proposing, and then removing the rollout of DOCSIS Doxus 3.0, and mm-hmm. and then now this. Um, it sounds like th- th- either they really hate their customers, um, and then if not, their customers are really going to start hating them.
0: Yeah. Well, apparently it revolved around a guy that downloaded i guess 44 gigs worth of stuff with like pirated content and Hulu and everything within a week and when he downloaded that much within a week they cut him off and i guess he had he got the run around in the phone system until finally somebody told him that he had used too much and that he needed to cut his usage back by i think like a third or half or something like that and apparently it took him like a day or something like that to get his Internet reconnected again because apparently you're not allowed to use 44 gigs in a week.
1: Yeah, I wish he would sue. They they need to... I mean, Internet is becoming the lifeline of most people's lives. I mean, you can't do work. You, you can't get communication. Um, people connect with their families all around the country and even all around the world, the Internet is becoming, um, I mean, we always talk about it being ubiquitous, but it's also, it's it's becoming more ubiquitous because it is that important. And someone that just cooked you off for a day and a half, I, I think is very extreme for a policy that's not communicated to everyone.
0: Yeah, well, that was my problem when Comcast originally had their um data cap that no one knew about that I had determined from various stories was around the 250 gigabyte area, although I didn't know an exact number but yeah, it, that that's always been my issue, is if you're gonna do this, at least tell the customer so they can be aware of it and if you're gonna, as long as you have a reasonable cap, that's fine just tell the customers so they can be aware of it and watch what they're doing
1: well, it's not just tell the customers. It's don't say your data plan's unlimited mm-hmm. if it's not unlimited. If it's yeah. if it is if it does have a limit, have the people sign a new contract, sign some sort of addendum saying, "Okay, I will agree to this." Um, uh, agreeing to, to silent terms is is not fair. I didn't agree to that. Why should it, should it? I, I would if I was this guy, I would get right back on and just see how many Linux ISOs I could download again.
0: Yeah. Well, that's one way to go about it. Or you could use a service like GameFly, Netflix, or Blockbuster to download some or download or rent some movies and games.
1: Well, that it all depends. Do you want that game intact when you get it or uh, lost?
0: Normally you do. But norm, or normally <laughs> you want it intact, but I don't yeah. know. It it just depends. Apparently GameFly is all upset at the U.S. Postal Service now because apparently they think that DVDs are essentially being handled with kid gloves for people like Netflix and Blockbuster and that they're getting ignored to the point that 1 or 2% of their games are arriving either at their destination or coming back being damaged and unusable, which when games are... 50 bucks a piece that and they ship, uh, admit they mail out just under 600,000 games a month and receive 5,000 or 510,000 back that they're essentially losing nearly $300,000 a month from lost merchandise because the Postal Service can't get their act together.
1: Yeah, th- things like this is really gonna hurt the Postal Service and uh, push people to find other alternatives Uh, in this article it states that when Gamefly opened their local sorting facility here in Austin that the Postal Service had a press release touting how uh, new businesses are using old models to help themselves grow but if something like this keeps happening the Postal Service is going to be the last alternative. Um, I, I see, uh, you know, especially with digital distribution, that maybe Gamefly might come up with a little box that you hook up and then it burns the DVD for you. <laughs> and then you put it on the back end and it shreds it or something and you, it, it does delivery that way to, to circumvent how much money they say that they're losing a month. Uh, due to these broken discs and stolen discs from the USPS. Yeah,
0: well, they're saying that apparently they have routine visits to the USPS, and that apparently Netflix and Blockbuster's DVDs basically get pulled out of the sorting machines by hand and handled by hand, whereas Gamefly's DVDs and games and whatever are all going through the sorting machines and get damaged by the sorting machines. Which, if it's anything like the machines around here, no wonder they end up damaged, because half of my mail most of the time ends up missing or torn to shreds or whatever.
1: Yeah, I would like to see if uh, you could stamp something and just have, uh, you know, like a FedEx for just regular hand-sorted mail. Uh, other than using the the post office if that was that if, if that was a possibility i think i might actually pay a little bit more to have my mail handled by another company
0: yeah so would i i mean there's been times when i would get like a magazine in the mail and instead of my magazine showing up in the mail i get a half shredded up cover placed in a little plastic baggie saying we're sorry your mail was destroyed And that was it. Just the cover. And it was torn up at that. I once had
1: had the idea... I had an idea that where you could pay to have a post office box and then all your mail would get delivered to that post office office box. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there'll be different regions around the country. So um, when... uh, Let's say you're in Utah, you would have one delivered uh, locally... Uh, if someone was mailing something from Florida it got sent to your Florida post office box if something mailed something from Texas it's sent to the Texas post office box and then that post office box would be emptied by an employee uh, and uh, scanned and then emailed over so you get all your mail via email
0: yeah oh, that, w- that would certainly be nice but yeah I- I've gotten to the point where I try and use them as little as absolutely possible
1: but, yeah, right now I get I do all my bills online, anything important. I don't trust the mail for.
0: Yeah, I certain I trust them with my Netflix, but that's about all I trust them with. Otherwise, the only thing I really much get in the mail is bills for car insurance and bank statements. Otherwise, I don't use them. I won't use them for any packages. Generally speaking, I'll use FedEx whenever possible just because I seem to have the same issues with UPS most of the time, too.
1: You know who you can't trust? Who? Sony. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Apparently apparently, some guy felt that Sony duped him out of his uh, Rumble patent uh, for the Rumble addition to the Axis controllers.
0: Yeah, uh, this is kind of a... Long strange story, so I'll I'll just read it so I don't skip over any details. A uh, New Jersey electrical engineer named Craig Thorner is suing Sony and its attorneys, claiming that he was more or less duped out of one of his patents in a shady deal designed to help Sony and PDP Electrosource beat immersion's case against them. Which for those of you that don't know this is a this was a two year old case revolving around Sony's use of the DualShock controller and the Rumble technology therein. But apparently it's one big tangled mess. Thorner first signed over his patent to Immersion, hoping to score a little bit of a slice of the royalty pie when the lawsuit settled, but then took it back and decided that Immersion wasn't pursuing it hard enough, so he went ahead and signed it over to PDP Electrosource, who promised him $150,000. And where did Sony come in? Thorner says that BDP and Sony teamed up to beat Immersion, and that Sony was secretly the one licensing the patent, to try, but trying to remain out of the picture to keep the price down. And apparently he's got proof in the form of a $150,000 wire transfer between the two companies. Not only that, but Sony's attorneys apparently promised Thorner that they would be wearing two hats in, in the negotiations and represent both him and Sony, which is all kinds of shady. And and you can pretty much guess what happened next. Sony lost, PDP settled, and Immersion sued Thorner for breaking his agreement. And Sony's attorneys didn't help him defend in the lawsuit, so now he's turning around and suing Sony
1: yeah this is uh sounds the like case of Sony pretty much making a shell company or something kind of sort of like that in order to um, mislead, mislead him into uh signing his patent over um, and then what what happened was that um he he seemed to switch from one company to another because he you know the grass is greener on the other side and he thought he would get more cash. But he failed to, I guess, understand the full ramifications of transferring the license, um, breaking the contract, and transferring his license from one country to a, a, a company to another. So it's like this is a whole bunch of people stabbing each other in the back, and um, he's getting left hung out to dry.
0: Yeah, I, I'd say he kind of. Screwed himself when he left immersion. I think. I think. I think that's kind of where he screwed up on this whole deal. Yeah. I, I know. I certainly wouldn't trust Sony with something like that. Did he ever get the one hundred and fifty
1: thousand? I mean, because it says that uh, Sony did transfer the money over to the shell mm-hmm. company or whatever. This PDP. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh I don't. I would assume that he got the original 150000 but I would think that he probably would want more than that and royalties and stuff
1: yeah Sony's going to probably drag this out as long as they can since it's one individual instead of one large company I think he has a lot um, a lot to lose and not much to gain going this route and he's probably just going to go bankrupt trying to get his money back
0: well, I'm kind of curious how much Immersion is suing this guy for, for breaking his agreement. As I, I'm, given the scope of how that lawsuit turned out, I'm kind of curious to see how much they're kind of blaming him for everything. Even though, I, be- as I recall, Immersion ended up winning the lawsuit and Sony had to pay him all kinds of money and license the technology anyway.
1: Hmm. Well, he, he kind of, uh, I mean, you would think that he would make a smarter chores, choice. Um, thinking that immersion wasn't going hard enough, what does that mean that he thought, I mean, lawsuits take time, and if he's not a lawyer, he doesn't know exactly what hard enough is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he, that was something he didn't learn in college because he was too distracted by using Facebook.
1: Yeah, I think maybe he was just the other way around. Maybe he was not using Facebook enough. The study shows that uh, people have worse grades uh, when they spend their time using Facebook instead of spending time studying like the majority of people. It says that uh, people who use Facebook have an average GPA between 3.0 and 3.5, and people who don't uh, have an average GPA of 3.5 to 4.0. But, I think people who don't, this is my personal opinion, people who don't use use Facebook probably don't have a circle of friends that they want to keep up with. Thus, no need to use Facebook.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. When I was in college, I never... I wasn't a part of the whole Facebook thing. It wasn't until after I got out of college that I started doing Facebook, or I've never done MySpace or anything like that, yet I I would say I was still probably maybe hovering around the 3.0 grade point average range, and it certainly wasn't due to lack of studying I spent, and there were a lot of days where I would go from 8 o'clock in the morning till midnight just working on school stuff, with the only break coming for lunch and maybe dinner. Which wasn't the case most of the, which wasn't even the case most of the time. So I don't know. It, it, they certainly made sure that it was pointed out in this study that although there seems to be a link, this certainly isn't necessarily the guaranteed cause. It's just that cor- correlation doesn't equal causation, but there could be a right. there could be a good tie in between the two.
1: And it's funny how they this was um, localized just to Facebook. I wonder what the study would would go uh, what what the results would be if it was MySpace yeah, or I Friendster.
0: Know. Yeah. Well, it said the the Facebook users. Apparently, they only studied one to five hours a week, whereas non Facebook users would study eleven to fifteen. So I, I, I would say there's got to be something else in there because spending that much time on Facebook, is, I just have a hard time seeing that.
1: Well, it's, well, also, if you look at it, it um, sounds like the Facebook people uh, spend their time more efficiently. If they're able to still hold a 3.5 GPA and only study one to five hours a week as opposed to somebody studying uh, what, more than twice that, um, I'd say that that's just time well spent.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it, it seems to make sense to me. I, I've always believed in Facebook being more of a tool than a distraction. So, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. But I don't know. I have a feeling that there could be like a wow, like a wow addiction among the people that were studied here that could be skewing this a little bit or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's always been ways to distract. Um, there's always been tools to distract you from doing what you're supposed to do and Mm -hmm. uh, just focusing on one of those uh, does not give a complete picture uh, like the story says yeah
0: well who knows hopefully within the next 20 years universities may be irrelevant completely or at least a professor at byu thinks so anyway
1: yeah, this is a story, it looks like it's on a local paper, the Desert News, saying that with the proliferation of the internet and with the access and lectures being online, being podcasts, that um, schools become less and less irrelevant because the information that is contained in those schools will be more proliferant. proliferant. Um, I, I disagree with this story because... It's kind of always kind of been that way. If you looked hard enough, you could find the information. The problem is not with the schools, but with the employers. Because as long as that sheet of paper is important to employers, that university and that academic establishment is still going to be important.
0: Yeah, well, I think there's... I think you'll still need the universities and stuff to get that piece of paper and everything. I think it's just... There's going to be a radical change in the way uh, subjects are taught, whether it's lectures in the form of podcasts or um, or a number of different things like students helping and teaching students instead of having like normal teachers and whatever. I, there's a school that seems to be really kind of on the forefront of this that they're. Just starting this fall, their um, admissions opened up yesterday. I am going to be applying for that probably this weekend. Called uh, University of the People, I believe, where it's an online school, but it's taking all the classes that have been released for free online from all the major universities like MIT, Stanford, Yale, whatever, and basically using them as their courses and having. There are, I think there are teachers or at least teachers that kind of donate their spare time to the school or whatever to help out and it's pretty much more of a case of students helping students more than anything and when it comes to t- test taking time you go to one of the local testing centers which I'm I don't know I'm guessing if the testing centers are going to be like the same places that you would go and take like Microsoft or Cisco certification tests and stuff like that as to where the school and is essentially free. The materials are free, or at least the school is mostly free, depending on like where you are and stuff. Because this this is a global thing, but essentially all you're paying for is to get into the testing center and take tests, which can cost you like a hundred bucks a test or something like that. So you so you're not having to worry about paying all the costs of books and the outrageous tuition fees and anything like that. And I I think that if this school does well, I think that'll be a big indicator of where education is going and it's going to
1: lead the way. That's very interesting. Now, is this accredited? Do they have uh, degree plans?
0: Uh, Last I knew, and I I forgot to look yesterday when I saw that their uh, registration was open, was they were looking to get accredited uh, when I first heard about it, and this has probably been about two months ago, the founder was still looking to raise another million some odd dollars, and he was in the process of getting the accreditation. But I believe, I think, and I think the URL is like uofpeople.com. Youofpeople. U you of people. Uo
1: people. U uo people.com.
0: youo people.com. Yeah. Last I knew, he was working on the accreditation but I'm I'm not positive that they got it. And last I knew, the only uh, program that they had was, or they've got two programs, a bachelor's in computer science and one in business administration. So they're starting out small. I think this fall, last I heard, they were only going to have 300 students, and then over the following semesters and stuff, they're going to work their way into the thousands.
1: Hmm. I wonder if they'll get rid of some of the courses that I I personally don't like are the the intro courses to um English and history and all the stuff not related to the actual core of the degree. I yeah. wonder if they're going to get rid of some of those or the, or make those requirements. This is very interesting. I'm I'm definitely going to look into this.
0: Yeah, it I really like the idea behind it, especially the fact that it's very cheap compared to going to a Normal university where you've got the tuition, the books fees, the dorm fees, the lab fees, and everything else. So yeah, this is something that I plan on applying for this weekend, and hopefully I'm within the first 300 or whatever to get in. But it's certainly a different way to go about learning, I think, and I I think their vision behind it is revolutionary in the field of education, and I think they're gonna take education in a whole new direction
1: once they get going. Yeah, I knew when I at least the first time I went to school, um, I had to put myself through school and work at the same time. Um, And then when I lost my job, I had to drop out of school. Um, I wonder if the Apple employees who are getting laid off from the Apple store, if they still would be able to use this to continue their education.
0: Yeah, this This story kind of really shocked me. Yesterday, Apple announced that they uh, laid off 1,600 employees from the Apple stores, which, considering the fact that they just had a great quarter last quarter with the total profit profit in excess of $1.2 billion despite the economy, seems a little bit strange to me. You'd think if profits were up they'd be keeping the people instead of laying off sixteen hundred people.
1: I think I know what it could be. I think it's the iPhone.
0: Mm, could be.
1: Let, let me say let me say why. Um this is not the iPhone second generation, this is the iPhone third generation. With the iPhone third generation that's gonna be uh released, they're saying what, June, July, something like that? Yeah. Um there is a lot of upfront cost that goes with that a lot of manufacturing costs uh costs to make sure that um, all the all the stores are seeded with the product and all that stuff they cannot realize any of the profit until it 's actually sold and so mm-hmm. I think this second quarter, which is going go um i don 't which is going to go into uh, July or so um that they will have to be charged off of all that um, money that they're putting, uh, putting out and that they won't realize the benefits of the sale of that until the following quarter, which is Q3. So my guess is that what they're trying to do is make sure they look good for Q2 even though they're spending all this money and not getting any profit off, of, off that expenditure.
0: Yeah, that, that makes total sense. I I don't know. This is I don't know. It's still just kind of surprising. I'm wondering if it wasn't until this past weekend that I've even seen or even stepped foot in a in an Apple store before, and which was an, a different experience, that's for sure. But I'm kind of surprised. I'm kind of wondering if since they're laying off so many people, if this is going to create longer lines in the store and make it harder to get an appointment at the Genius Bar and everything else. I, I'm kind of curious to see how this impacts the customers.
1: Well, it seems that Apple has always had a grand latitude with their customers um, because they have made a lot of deposits in that bank of trust. And when things start to go bad, they just make withdrawals. So I think their customer service will suffer, um, but I don't know if that will be translated into dissatisfactions or, or disloyalty, at least not on a large scale, because people say, well, you know, they're trying to do their best. And also with the popularity of Apple and the Apple stores, I think when they do release the iPhone uh, third generation, that um, that's the 3G, the third generation, um, mm-hmm. that they'll be able to ramp up very, very quickly and and alleviate any problems that might come with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see when either the third-generation iPhone comes out or the Q2 results come out, either one. But either way, I'm I'm guessing this probably is going to lose some fans for Apple, but at this point it seems like they're the golden child that can do no wrong anyway, so it probably won't have a whole lot of effect, I don't think. Yeah,
1: well, we'll we can just tell how outraged people are by um, how many blogs or, or websites that pop up that say that they hate Apple.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of websites and stuff that won't be popping up, apparently Yahoo has shut down GeoCities. Or at least you can't uh, this, create new accounts, I believe.
1: Every time I hear about Yahoo killing off another small business that they had, I always have the same reaction. This existed, or it still exists. I had no idea that GeoCities was still up and running.
0: I don't think I've visited GeoCities since the 90s, I don't think.
1: Yeah, the early 90s.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, GeoCities used to be big back in the 90s when everybody kind of was still discovering the internet and thought gee it would be cool to have my own corner of the internet and just to put up whatever i felt like of course this was long before like the time of the where blogs became popular and everything else as to where basically the sites ended up looking hideous compared to even anything else at the time which back then most things still looked ugly but
1: yeah a study that i, I made up says that GeoCities was the number one contributor to Epileptic Caesars in the late 90s because of the overuse of the blink tag
0: <laughs> yeah that, that and all the blinking backgrounds and everything I mean, it, it was like the MySpace of the 90s kind of everyone was there yeah. and it was absolutely hideous just kind of the way MySpace is yeah. now
1: yeah, I, I'm kind of happy that they're making this choice, um, not because I um, I hate GeoCities, but it's the right choice to make. I mean, um, Carol Bartz is really cutting the fat, and uh, what was that peanut butter manifesto that came out a few years ago, or was that last year, saying that Yahoo is uh, spreading themselves too thin? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the the the. The realization that that manifesto was true, and and trimming the fat is the way to go, and I don't want to see Yahoo go out of business, and I think this is just a necessary step that they have to take in order to make sure that they uh, they still stay relevant, and that they preserve their their core businesses.
0: Yeah, well, I think the only reason that GeoCities is getting shut down right now is is because of Carol Bartz. I think if Jerry Yang was still in there, and just how the history that GeoCities has had, especially with Yahoo, I don't think anybody would have wanted to shut them down had Carol Bartz come in, had, had she not come in.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think also with, um, like we have these Gmail, we hear that Gmail is roll- rolled out new features, um, like r- telling you what, what region your sender's in when you send it in, They're like the Google goggles. They keep making themselves more relevant by giving more value to that platform um they could have done one and two things yahoo with geocities is that they could have rolled out more features to, to keep geocities more relevant which is you know dumping more money into it or they could have done this and um i i think they did the right choice in cutting geocities and hopefully they'll do the second part which is enhance the platforms that they already have to make them more relevant
0: Yeah, well, I think that was kind of the problem with GeoCities for a long time, was that after kind of the very early stages of it, they started to fall behind on what you got compared to what was available for other cheap or free web hosting. I remember when I first started getting hosting packages, there were better deals for just as cheap, if not cheaper, prices than what they were offering, and I don't know how it's been the last few years like I said I haven't been there since probably the 90s but they really lacked on a lot of features and then when you have sites like WordPress and Blogger and TypePad and everything else that start popping up they ended up being left in a position where they just couldn't compete unless if you had somebody that was basically just learning HTML or whatever and wanted to screw around and it was free hosting just to play with.
1: Yeah, I remember the first thing that drove me for Geo, from GeoCities when I did dabble in the web is that they had this horrible upper third banner ad yeah. on all their pages and it really, 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 really screwed up the content and you had no control over that whatsoever.
0: Yeah, that that's why I never I think I had a GeoCities account, but that's why I never really used it. I used other people's hosting accounts until I got my own was because I hated the blinking banner ads and everything like that. And, and that's why I've have since moved to my own pay hosting, as to where I don't have to worry about that.
1: Well, you pay for hosting, but uh, would you ever pay for the consumption of the content?
0: Hmm. Maybe this is the pirate in me, but no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a story from uh, Journalism Online saying that uh, it's time to start paying for online news and other kinds of publications online.
0: Yeah, apparently this is backed by a bunch of uh, big journalism people with lots of money and stuff. Apparently they're wanting to... They're trying to get newspapers to, I don't know if it's join their journalism online thing or what, but they're wanting newspapers to start charging for their online content instead of just having it for free, similar to the way that you have subscriptions for newspapers.
1: Yeah, and it seems like this is all like micro payments and microtransactions from anywhere from looking at one page to looking at multiple pages and having one day um, and a whole month subscriptions and um, I think people don't like being nickel and dime. and 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 this I mean you hear about when the prices went up for you know text text messaging that a lot of people just went to unlimited and I think this is part of it is where it's going to reverse where they're trying to squeak out every last penny and I think that's going to be very annoying.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it certainly would annoy me if my local paper started doing this. I My local paper, paper, they have online ads and stuff that they do but I think their other way of making money online is that For anything, like, older than a week, you have to pay for a subscription to be able to look up older articles or whatever. I think that's part of how they do it online, or at least that used to be the way they did it, was anything older than a week or a month or something like that you weren't able to search for unless you paid for that privilege. But this seems to be kind of what they're pushing papers to go to. As apparently with the Times, they were saying, I guess this was a memo earlier this year, saying that they could capitalize on their 20 million online readers by charging like 10 cents for each article, or 40 cents to read all the articles from that day, or a one-month subscription for 750, or a year subscription for $55, and whatever, or f- and 5 cents to forward an article to someone else, which that in and of itself seems kind of stupid, because wouldn't you just be able to copy and paste it and send it to somebody else and avoid the five cents in the first place?
1: Yeah. I mean, you could uh, have other articles that just quote that article, still give attribution, and then go totally around the system. Um, This is, I think, trying to force an old business model to a current medium, instead of adapting and then figuring out how people actually use the news, and then... um, and, and then tailor it to them.
0: Yeah, the, I I can't stand this idea personally. It it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, considering you have all these blogs out there, all these online publications, anything from your Boing Boings to your Tech Crunches to your Engadgets and Gizmodos and Huffington Post and whatever else. It just doesn't make any sense to be charging for online content when everybody else has essentially the same stories, but for free.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're currently hooked on it. We're hooked on free. And it's hard to make a case for not paying for something and then moving into paying for something. Um, Let me ask you a question, Jeremy. Um, If you had to pay, what way would make sense to you for online content? Uh,
0: If I had to pay, it would probably be like a yearly subscription, just because you you tend the longer period you buy, you tend to get more savings. And as long as the price of the yearly subscription doesn't scare me just by looking at it, then I'd probably prefer to pay the yearly price.
1: I would say the only way that this would probably get wider adoption is if it was put on the ISP level. So mm-hmm. let's say you're signing up for Internet Access, and they said, okay, you know, like when you sign up for cable, they said, okay, do you want the premium channels with that? And then you pay it once. It comes in your monthly bill. You just pay the bill, and that's just the price of doing business. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with online content. You have ISPs that say, okay, do you want some of this premium content or do you or, or, or do you not? And then have it can be controlled um, a little Away from the actual point of consumption and moved up the pipe a little bit, um, and just kind of abstract it from the actual consumption. I think that's the only way that something like this would would be um, uh, accepted by multiple people or have wider distribution. Because most people say, you know, what? It's a, an extra dollar a month on my ISP bill. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. They'll get a lot more, a lot more of those dollars uh, when people sign up. That that. Than they would any other any other way. Yeah,
0: I've gotten to the point where I'm a big fan of giving the content for free and charging for extra services. So Mm -hmm. whether you wanna, so just give away all the articles for free, but charge them if they wanna do things like comment on the articles or search through different things for the articles, or or compare articles or look up old articles or something like that.
1: Or get rich content like podcasts or video, uh, video consumption of the same story. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. Like, freemium, Freemium is the news business model that I think <clears throat> that a lot of businesses should move to.
0: Yeah, that I, I've been a huge fan of the Freemium model for a long time, and I think that's the way that things should be. Is just have a base thing that is for free that'll entice everybody to come in and if they want some of your premium, your wonderful premium services, whatever they may be, they can pay a small fee for them, and I, I think that's really the way to go for most businesses.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel for all um, all the publishers, uh, either in print or online, that they have to struggle to try to you know, try to stay relevant, especially in this economy. Um, but, uh, this is going to be a re- rejuvenation cycle in which people are going to adapt and just get better. And it's eventually probably going to be the best for everyone when we uh, look back in history.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully things will change quick enough that it won't be too big of a painful transition process to get there. All right.
1: I but- think it's all mentalities. The quicker people learn, the quicker we'll get through this. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, I guess that pretty much wraps up all the stories that we have. I can't think of any other stories worth talking about, except for maybe the Pirate Bay, which we didn't throw in there and forgot to talk about. Which, for those that didn't catch that, the three guys of the Pirate Bay have been convicted, sentenced each to a year in jail, and I think like a $920,000 fine each. But since then, apparently the judge is supposedly on some kind of an anti... or in, on some kind of a copyright board or something like that. Board or... yeah, so, yeah, as to where supposedly he's biased now and now they're going to try and get the verdict thrown out for that and try and get a retrial.
1: But... Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd would like to see how this goes, but um, it sounds like no matter what, the Pirate base seems to find its way through this legal uh, maneuvering
0: yeah they've always found their way before so i'm sure that one way or the other they're probably gonna end up doing fine but what really surprised me was the day after the verdict came a whole bunch of torrent sites in sweden shut down because they were all scared that they were going to get sued mm. I... well
1: it looks like they got what they wanted that the, the... The, what, the RIA or whoever the equivalent was that was behind the suit? Uh,
0: I think for Sweden it's IFP. Actually, the Pirate Bay and the IFP share the same office. They're like right next door in the same office building, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But
1: Yeah, IFP. Ugh.
0: Yeah. Yeah, curious to see how that turns out. They've also filed an their appeals for the verdict anyway and that was before they found out about the deal with the judge and since they filed the appeal apparently this whole process could still take another two to three years even if they don't get the retrial so I don't expect them to go away anytime soon
1: yeah I bet they're going to be giving us many many stories in the future Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I'm sure Anyway, I guess that's all the stories. I do have a couple of announcements, but before I get into them, I guess I'll go ahead and plug everything. Uh, if you want to, if you have any comments or suggestions, especially about the new layout and the new format of the show, leave, either stick them in the comments or shoot me an email at pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews dot com. I'm also on Twitter at twitter dot com slash pcnerd37. Of which you are on Twitter at twitter.com slash wesley83, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. And if any of our listeners follow me um, through this podcast, please you know send me a, uh, an at message or a DM or whatever and let me know that that's where um, that you found me from.
0: Yeah, I do the same for me. I've been getting a ton of new followers lately, and by a ton I mean I went from... It took me a year and a half to get like 400 followers on the past month I've gotten, like, an, a, another 3,000 followers on top of that, so I, other than tweet me, I don't know where most of them are coming from, so let me know how you found out about me, but anyway, if you can also send me comments and stuff on there, and friend feed, too, if you feel like it, I am PCNerd37 on friend feed as well, but anyway, in terms of the announcements, a couple things, the Geek Podcasting Network, which is kind of the umbrella network for all of my podcasts. This podcast, my Geek News Daily podcast, my unofficial Mahalo podcast, which is basically dead. Um, It's basically, I'm relaunching the service. I was supposed to have it relaunched yesterday, which would have been Friday as of the time of this recording. Didn't get around to it. I'll probably launch it Monday the same time as this episode goes up. But for those of you that aren't familiar with the Geek Podcasting Network, it's basically I am a Hosts of podcasts, or the network is a is for is meant for free hosting of podcasts. So if you have any podcast you'd like to have hosted on the network, shoot me an email. Uh, there's a link on I think you, I think it's just PCNR37 at but all the details and stuff will be on the geek po- on geekpodcastingnetwork and, I'll, and some of the details will be there. Shoot me an email for more information if you're looking to get free hosting for your podcast. Um, I'll do... The only thing that it is that I do charge for or that you'll have to pay for one way or the other is the domain name. Otherwise, hosting and everything, I am happy to host it for free. So there's that. If you're interested, check that out. And that should be launched on Monday, which should be the same day... This show comes out. Um, I think that's it as regarding the Geek Podcasting Network. Also, don't forget to check out the Global Geek News blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog. I have part one of my Kindle 2 review up there. I ha- I'll and Hopefully, I'll get up part two on Monday as well. Which the first part was the text version of the review, the second part I'm doing, or the last part, is a video review. Where I'm kind of showing off the Kindle, showing off some of its functions, and basically talking about some of the stuff that's easier to understand if it's seen rather than read. So, don't forget to check that out. Also, I am in the process of trying to get the Global Geek News blog on the Amazon Kindle. So, if you're a excuse me, if you're a Kindle owner, make sure to check that out. Maybe I I just applied for it yesterday, so I don't know win or if it'll get on. I'm not sure how long that process takes, but if you happen to be a Kindle owner, shoot an email to Amazon. Tell them to push it through. Get it on there quicker. But anyway, I suppose that's pretty much everything unless you have something else to add there, Wesley.
1: Nope. Just tune in next week and we'll see what... uh what new stories will come out and uh, once again you know, you can follow me on Facebook and you can follow me on Twitter and uh, just let me know where you come from and so I can make sure I say hi
0: and that sounds good so that'll wrap up episode did I ever say this was episode 22? I don't, remember I don't think if I so. ever... okay well this is episode number 22 of the Global Geek News Podcast for those <laughs> that lost count um, including myself apparently But anyway, this was episode number 22 of the Global Geek News Podcast, and we will see you later.